This recording is from Fintech Nexus USA, formerly known as London Fintech USA, held at the Javits Center in New York City on May 25th to 26th, 2022. It's from the track SMB Fintech, New Solutions for Lending and Banking, sponsored by Fundbox and is titled Lending to Micro Businesses, the Most Underserved SMB Market. Speaking on a session is Sean Salas from Communal Financial with moderator Jacob Haar from CIM. Thank you. How's everyone doing today? Yeah, we're doing good? Okay, great. I'm Jacob Haar, managing partner of Community Investment Management. We're a institutional, um, an institutional asset manager that focuses on small businesses and uh, investing in fintechs with impact. And really excited to have Sean here today, who's the CEO and co-founder of Camino Financial. Uh, and Sean, we've uh, you've been active in the market now since, was it 20, 20, 2016? 2016. And I remember when I wanted to get into the market and I spoke to you because you're one of the first people I spoke to for money. You're like, get out of the market. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, get out of the market or be prepared because this is going to be a long journey. I remember that. Yeah, so moral of the story is I give really bad advice. <laughs> well, apparently he, he does because he just backed us for $150 million. So we're really proud of, uh, no. of uh, being a, a devil's advocate. But then when push comes to shove to put money behind real initiatives that are hard to solve for, uh, you come in um, gunslinging. So I appreciate that. Well, it's great being here. And I think that you know, from a, the perspective of hard markets, there is perhaps no harder market, but also more interesting than what we're talking about today, which is micro micro businesses, right? There are, you know, in the United States, there are 32 million small businesses. Uh, only 6 million of those have employees at all. And of those that have employees, only 2 million of those have more than five employees. Right? So when you talk about small businesses in America, you're really only talking about generally the 2 million businesses that have six or more employees. But that market of five and less, that's generally we would define, at least for the purpose here, of micro-businesses, right? So, you know, and, and look, when you look at small business financing in America, I mean, I think everyone agrees that small businesses are underserved and lending is broken in terms of how we reach, understand, and lend to small businesses in an affordable way. I mean, if you look at community banking in the U.S., since the savings and loan crisis in the 80s, we have uh, community, community bank loan assets have declined by more than 96%. Right, so there's just I think we all know the story about how community banks are just not playing the role they used to in the you know it's a wonderful life banking world of of uh, America. Uh, at least it was really great if you were white and male, but you know for the sort of new market of, of what's happening, I think we are seeing fintech as a bright spot. And Sean would love to to get your sense of you know why are one you know how important are micro businesses to the economy today, and why is this an interesting market for you all? Yeah, great. Well, uh, thanks for joining, and I'm sure you're going to get your money's worth of this conference in this 15-minute left discussion. Uh, why? Because the opportunity is massive, it's overlooked, and people aren't doing a great job defining it, and we're going to break it down right here. Uh, so, so first and foremost, um, one is just distinguishing and defining micro-businesses. So, I'll take your definition one step further, just so that 
um, I can broaden the definition a bit and give you a case study to validate how relevant this market is. Uh, so to your point, there's about 26 million um, non-employer firms that are registered, and technically, if they're registered by the U.S. Census, I'm gonna nerd out a little bit with the data, they're applying for an employer identification number. And so that 26 million is there, of which, by the way, 5 million just entered the market last year, and that was about 23% year-over-year growth over 2020, which was a record year in terms of new um, applications for, for an EIN. Um, and that is really driven by uh, the pandemic and what I believe is the largest uh, change in work-life behavior in a generation. So is this the gig economy? Is this part-time work? So is now let's talk about work? the second part of the equation that people don't know. And that is... But there's this massive gig economy of 60 or so million people out there. And how many of those are considered themselves solopreneurs, side hustlers, 1099 entrepreneur or freelancers? And we did the math there, and that adds about another 30 million. So our broader definition of solopreneurs is actually in the range of 60 million solopreneurs here in the United States and expected to grow in the double digits over the course of the next five years. And so once again, we are seeing the largest work-life behavior change in a generation. And what's interesting is that the nuance around captivating that gig economy portion of the solopreneurs presents a unique credit and design challenge that we're tackling at Camino Financial. Well, and talk about the demographics of that growth in solopreneurs, because I think that's just like, it's really shocking when you actually look at who's driving all the growth that you're talking about. Great. So, I, I love, so the, I'll give you the short answer and then I'll d dig into a case study. Uh, so 50% of net new solopreneurs in the market are either black or brown. Now, for those of you that are in the audience that have been tracking PPP, PPP was a really great case study of this new demographic work-life behavior change, which is primarily, primarily driven by solopreneurs. So at the tail end of PPP in February, once Biden took office, he made a very critical adjustment to the PPP around fee structures that effectively expanded the program and made it more lucrative to lend to solopreneurs 1099 contractors. All right, now you guys, probably know this, but the two largest in terms of numbers and total volume that move most PPP out there are actually through these marketplaces, Wampley and Blue, and, and Blue Acorn. Now, their largest distribution partner, guess who it was? It's called Prestamos, search it, Prestamos, they're a CDFI. Uh, I think the first year of PPP, they, they moved around uh, like about 10, uh, $20 million worth of PPP funding, very small. Um, and in the last year, uh, through Wampley, they moved 7.7 .7 billion. Wait, that's 7.7 .7 billion with a B, right? And that was, prestamos implies, Latinos. So the Latino micro-business economy, which includes solopreneurs, is a massive one. And quite frankly, that's how we fell into this market opportunity. We started Camino Financial focused on the overlooked Latinx business segment, saw our funnel, and said, whoa, 
what about all these solopreneurs within this segment that aren't being served? And we started now most recently building products and services around that opportunity. Well, let's talk about why they're underserved though, right? I mean, this is a really challenging market. I mean, there's a reason why the greatest need that you see from small businesses and a lot of the Fed reporting, et cetera, is the sub $50,000 loan amount. And there is clearly a lot of risk um, in funding folks that have no, uh, you know, that are running on their own. So like what, I mean, what today are the challenges and why folks are not getting capital and would love to understand why you all are able to solve that. Yeah. So let's start a little bit with ticket size and clarifying that distribution in the market. And then we'll talk about how you craft a product around that ticket size, because there's even regulatory and credit nuances around that. So um, if we're talking about the traditional micro business owner that is registered that has an EIN, average revenue size of $300,000 in revenue, which is roughly half the size of the national average, um, the average ticket size there is actually going to be closer to $20,000. Because I hear a lot of sub $50,000, but no, the number is actually closer to $20,000. However, when you start talking about the solopreneur, which is based on our expanded definition of the market around safely over 85% of the market opportunity. We're seeing that in our funnel. The average ticket size there, because we've already launched the product in the market, so I'll give you that number now, is about $3,000. Now, regulation-wise, any loan below $5,000, it doesn't matter if they do or do not have an EIN, is regulated like a consumer loan. Another fun fact is most solopreneurs today, over 50% of solopreneurs that get money today, they're actually getting it from a personal credit card. And so there's a massive first to scale opportunity to address this market, but because of the gray between consumer and business, uh, it's a gray that we're even getting you comfortable with, Jacob, Mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, I think there's a big missed opportunity, let alone, of course, let's layer on the more informal nature of these businesses, they're cash heavy, They have a personal bank account. They don't have a business bank account. So how do you model and build around that type of credit while still creating a path, because you're intentional about it, to graduate them into a business loan is very nuanced from a regulatory standpoint, from a credit underwriting standpoint, from a data aggregation and insight standpoint that I think has quite frankly been overlooked. And I, and I remember Peter Renton was in the crowd a little earlier and I, when I told him about this opportunity uh, about a year ago, he was like, Sean, it's crazy how I can't think on the top of my head of a skilled lender that is intentionally tackling this market opportunity. Well, but to your point, today most of what these... You know, solopreneurs are using or consumer options. And so why are consumer options not good for them? Great, great question. Uh, so there, so it's a two-dimensional solution, right? So one is the credit solution and how do you design credit around the opportunity and leverage data to do that. Um, and I won't bore you with another AI discussion, I promise. Um, we'll talk about the design nuance, uh, because I think that's probably the most exciting nuance from a, a, a member experience perspective. Um, consumer loans today aren't designed to graduate to a business loan, period, case in point. Um, and how do you facilitate that graduation? It has a ton of 
nuance around not just the credit, but also we have a saying at Camino Financial, capital in isolation is not the solution. How are you creating a broader experience that facilitates the graduation, facilitates you transitioning your business, filing for an EIN, um, how to properly file your taxes, um, how to open your business bank account. Uh, and, and then, of course, you associate that graduation and formalization of the business with an actual business loan. And today, a personal credit card is just not going to do that for you. And so introducing a business product, I assume you still have to have a personal guarantee, for example. You still stand behind it. So what's 100%. the real difference for for the business owner experientially, that they continue to have other service products and services. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, we need to be intentional about offering other value-add products and services that facilitates the graduation and formalization from solo paternal and micro-business owner, micro-business owner to small business owner, small business owner to enterprise-level executive. Uh, and I think that path today and curating that from a design and member experience standpoint doesn't exist until, of course, that's what that's the, the path that we're trying to trailblaze at Camino. And so as you think about the tools that you have to, I mean, look, we're entering an uncertain economic time. Yeah. You know, seems like, you know, certainly if you were to take 08 as the model, small businesses are on the front lines of bearing the brunt of a recession. Yep. So especially those that are the smallest small businesses, yep. scary place to be. Yep. How are you understanding people well and being able to make the right kinds of credit decisions to navigate that type of an uncertain environment? Yeah, well, we have a... And we validated this during COVID that just this type of risk is actually fundamentally mispriced in the market today. And so there's a lot of margin to share between both our members and whoever's lending into the market today. So I don't, I, obviously we're concerned about volatility risk associated with the recession, but actually when you look at the history, um, both in consumer lending in 08, because that's the best case study for it, and also in volatility risk during uh, COVID, I think what you found is that you are working with a market that, yes, may go from, let's qualify it, I'm giving you some broad-based numbers, an expected default rate, because there is systemic risk associated with lending to solopreneurs. I mean, I think people know over 90% of businesses go out of business in the first seven years. So, I mean, let's, let's call a spade a spade. You have to get comfortable with uh, default risk if you're doing your job properly between the 8 and 12% range. Um, but what you find is that maybe your default risk goes from 8% to 12%, and that's a 50% flux in your, in your default risk. And that's what we pretty much saw during COVID um, in that range. Whereas when you're doing prime lending, you go from an expected default rate of 2% to 6%. That's 3x increase in expected default rate. And that pretty much kills your margin. In this market, and that's because, and we're, by the way, pricing our loans 10 percentage points lower than the market. I was just talking to Donata right now as she was getting off of the panel. I'm like, we're killing it in Lendio and, and a special call out to them. Um, but we've been able to demonstrate that we can still price down relative to the competition and still absorb that volatility risk even within our current pricing structure that we have today. So when you compare this cohort and its 
behavior from a return standpoint relative to other markets, we actually feel we're very well positioned to manage the recession. And when you talk about the savings that you're giving customers, what does that mean in terms of impact? I'm, happy, I'm, I'm so glad you, you, you mentioned that. So, um, and th- this will give you also a sense of scale of where Camino Financial is too and, and, and where we're growing. And, and um, so we have to date moved uh, 100, over $170 million um, since 2016. So we've been at this for some time. I'll tell you where we are today. Uh, and then of that, roughly 70 cents on the dollar, so about 115 million of that goes into net positive return back to our market in the forms of interest rate saves and most importantly, incremental revenue generated across our member base because they're subdued. They don't have access to capital to realize their full potential. Um, that said, and in big part, thanks to the $150 million uh, facility that we just closed, uh, this year we expect to be uh, to do about $200 million worth of loan originations. And next year, hopefully we'll, we'll surpass the billion dollar lifetime loan mark. It's pretty amazing, Sean. So we've got some great questions here with the last couple minutes. Um, one is, you know, uh, if businesses are, you know, if many of these businesses are not in fact graduating from micro businesses to small businesses to you know, larger businesses, does your model rely on needing them to graduate to be profitable or can you actually be profitable in this challenging segment? Yeah. So the, the, I mean, let, let me be clear. The business model assumes we have a, gra- a very good graduation rate. And ultimately that's also the mission of Camino Financial. We're in this, uh, not to give them a loan or two, but to really, really Camino means path in Spanish, really be on, you know, hand by hand on their path to building wealth. Um, and so th- that said, um, because I do tell this to a lot of people, we have a great lending business with beautiful contribution margins that benchmark just as well or better than a lot of lenders out there today. And so at the, at the core, we, are, we need to get our lending business right first. Um, uh, but of course, the evolution of the model will, will you know, involve other types of loans and credit op- products that we're offering, but other non-credit products and services that enable our members to build wealth beyond uh, our initial unsecured uh, loan. But I think, look, that speaks to why, you know, fintech is so valuable for small businesses that you can be much lower on a cost basis, create impact for those businesses, but also have positive economics in a really hard segment. And so last question, which I think is appropriate for this, which is, so how are you doing that? I.e., what new data are you using to improve underwriting so that you can actually accomplish this? Yeah, so the there was a great panel on cash flow underwriting earlier, and um, and so I wanna I wanna go with something a bit more familiar, but nuanced in terms of how we disaggregate it, leveraging AI and machine learning models. So there's a lot of so we do also collect bank transaction data, um, uh, and as the members of that panel said. Uh, you know, deriving insights from bank transaction data is actually really hard to do. Layer on top of that, two layers of complexity that are actually very specific to the segment that we're focused on, which is number one, they're commingling personal and business into the same account. How do you disaggregate that commingling so that you can actually isolate the insights that you're creating on the market opportunity? Uh, And that's why we just brought in our VP of data science that literally productionized transaction data at Yodli onto our team. Uh, And then the the second nuance is, 
how do we proxy for cash flow given that we know that we're lending and underwriting to cash heavy businesses? And so building surrogate income models, which is a very prominent strategy in emerging markets, um, is something that we're doing yet a little bit counterintuitive in that you are still looking at bank transaction data, but recognizing that it's only half of the story. And that's where, of course, we expand the pool of data that we're aggregating um, beyond that uh, and, and, and learning more and getting better as we evolve. Incredible. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate it, everyone. Thank you.